0: It's the Bible rundown, pastors Rob and David. We are on day 196, meaning we're going to talk about Psalm 13 through 15 in Acts 19. and Rob just told me before we hit record that he's got lots of questions with Psalm 9, Acts 19, so be ready. So, Rob, questions. we talked about kind of the inner structure of some of the psalms is that they can be grouped together. So, Psalms 10 through 14 could be viewed as a section. Right. Psalm 10 talked about the fool says in his heart there is no God. Psalm 14 is going to say the fool says in his heart there is no God. So, before we kind of see that and we see how it wraps up together, Psalm 13 talks about really this waiting room aspect waiting for the lord right what what is david writing about here well ever since the
1: beginning of time in the garden of eden man has been waiting for the son of man to crush the head of the serpent <clears throat> the son of woman to crush the head of the serpent and so the it's it's a return to the garden it's it's a waiting for the lord <clears throat> Uh, you know, the questions that he asks, we could probably all, all ask with ourselves. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Um, you know, how how long is this going to continue that the wicked prosper? Um, how long um, am I going to have sorrow all in my heart all the day? How, how long is this going to happen? Mm hmm. Um, But then at the end, he says, I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Mm -hmm. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So the Christian life is about waiting, David. Mm -hmm. We wait until the Lord returns to bring about his glorious work of salvation. We wait in this life many times for the Lord to act and work in and through our life. But we trust the steadfast love of the Lord
0: and we trust in his salvation. Amen. 1 Peter 5, 6 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So, why do you wait on the Lord? Because there will be a proper time. Doesn't always fit in with the timeline that we would want, but I think that's what David's pointing yep. us forward to, right? Maintain hope in God, cast your anxieties on him. What would you say to the skeptic?
1: that says well I don't I mean that's just a crock you're just waiting on the Lord what would you say I, I, I have something I would say <laughs> maybe I'm asking myself that question but I, I would say the salvation of the Lord has come in, in part we are waiting but we have Christ as the the fulfillment of all the Old Testament as they waited for the Messiah. Right. So we're no longer waiting for Christ to come. And we have been given the Holy Spirit, but we're waiting for His return. So yeah. in one sense, they were waiting for His coming the first time, the Old Testament saints. In another sense, the New Testament saints are waiting for His return. But we have the proof that He is... Coming again because he came the first time and resurrected from the dead.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think the I I would say that that is the call of God to His people, is to be a people who wait upon the Lord, but He doesn't leave us empty-handed. So even Jesus, when He's giving His His famous last dialogue in the Gospel of John, right, chapters fourteen through seventeen, in sixteen He talks to His disciples and says, "Don't be sad because I say I'm leaving." I'm actually going to leave you something better. It's better for you that I go. Right. And so, I think for all of us, what the psalmist is is pointing us to. You you pointed rightly, Psalm one and two. God is always a God who's going to contrast Himself to the greatest extreme so that He gets the greatest glory. Right. So part of that is by us waiting, but we know the treasure that we have is worth much more than immediate gratification right now right yeah. it's better to wait upon the Lord and see it fulfilled in his timing on the last day than to get vainglory from getting something now <clears throat> which I think is really what goes back to the next chapter chapter 14 right so we talked about the fool says in his heart there is no God but then this verse 2 is interesting
1: yeah it is so it
0: talks about wisdom but it's really talking about the application of wisdom in those who would be known as God's people. They act wisely in this life, right? So they are contrasted against the fool who is the one that says there is no God, right? Which
1: goes back to Psalm one, is the one who is blessed, the walks in the way of the Lord and
0: in his word. And ultimately it's drawing forward to verse seven, right? Well, salvation has come out of Zion right yeah it's it's Christ it didn't come through Sinai and the law it came through Zion the presence of God coming down among his people right so then God has restored the fortunes of his people with the future glory right so we're not looking for the here and now no so we are to act wisely and see promises made in Psalm 1 fulfilled in our own life because we're following one that ultimately prospered over sin and death. And we see that victory occurring daily in us.
1: And we see these pictures of the kingdom of God and Jesus' stories of Him showing us what the fulfillment actually looks like, the Mm -hmm. leper being cleansed, the lame man walking, which is the ultimate fulfillment in Zion.
0: Or the tax collectors and the wealthy, and what we're gonna read in Ephesus, People giving up earthly wisdom to what? Gain the true treasure, the pearl of great price. Which really is Psalm 15, right? Yeah. Uh, Who can dwell on God's hill or dwell in his presence, right? That image of a tent goes back to the tabernacle where the presence of God is among his people. Yes. Those that are restored and repentant. And this is a a great connection with what we're going to see in Ephesus People that were marked by extreme or radical repentance, right? And so these characteristics ought to be the marks of us if we're going to call ourselves God's people because we put faith in Christ.
1: And this is is a thing, right? Like when you read this text, it can be misread. Many people will read this text and say, well, if I walk blamelessly and do what is right and speak truth in my heart, not slander and not do evil to his neighbor and take up a reproach to his friend. If I, if I, uh, you know, if I honor and fear the Lord, then I will be saved. But again, if Psalm chapter one and two is the man Christ, which it is, and blessed are those who take refuge in Him then those will be transformed by the new heart in which God gives to them to be able to do this.
0: And so this is the connection as we turn to Acts 19. Yeah, but hold on. I'm happens. not done with 15. Oh, no, no, you're I, not done yet. Yeah, right, keep going, somewhere. keep going.
1: So who will dwell on the holy hill? I like how you made the connection with the tent and the tabernacle, the holy hill meaning Jerusalem, which is the, the temple mount where the presence of God dwells. But... It goes back to the mountain of God, which is Eden. So why is this important? It's because only those who have been purified and been made holy and reflect who God is will dwell with him forever. So it is the righteous. And who are the righteous? Those who have been cleansed by Christ, given the Holy Spirit, and are going to be resurrected into a perfect glorified state in which they will walk with God for all eternity. Mm -hmm. So you said, I think you said it best, we ought to reflect our future glory with what, how we choose
0: to live now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is the connection? If we're ready, we're ready. We're ready to Acts 19. So you asked a great question, right? You could do all those things that were listed in Psalm 15, right? Not not lending money at interest, and, and some of those other, those are good moral qualities, and that's kind of what we have here, right? People that knew the baptism of John for repentance of sins, right. but did not yet have the Holy Spirit. So we have two baptisms, Rob, and I want to connect it. To a modern thing. So sometimes when we talk through this, we talk about the meaning of the text to the first audience being the people where it actually happened. Yeah. But there is application for us yes. that I want to ask you a question about. So first explain got to, questions too. Explain to us like what what is the difference between John's baptism for repentance of sin. Right. But then Jesus' baptism that actually gives the Holy Spirit? Why why the difference between the two?
1: one is baptism of repentance in preparation for the coming king and one is baptism into Christ himself and so uh one is is right is is showing that you are in need of your sins forgiven and the other one is saying no i'm baptized i'm dead and now christ lives in me the spirit of the living god is now in my being and so um so one is representative of the Spirit of the Living God coming into your life. It's a baptism in which, is in Christ, they are declared righteous by the blood of Jesus, and you are able to receive the Holy Spirit.
0: Which is why, for us, we, we do not practice what's known as paedo-baptism, baptism of infants. Because we believe that baptism proceeds from faith, professing faith in Christ, that is a mark of okay. what you're talking about. The big word we would say is regeneration, right? That we are made new, like Second Corinthians 5 tells us, made a new creation through Christ. So it's not just a washing or cleansing like the Old Testament pointed to. It's receiving the new heart that is the Spirit-filled heart. And that's what happens to these people. So,
1: yeah, because look at verse 5. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So in, before, they were baptized with a, a baptism uh, of repentance, meaning really old covenant baptism. Through the waters of God's judgment, you're trusting in His grace but is fulfilled in Christ, and so it's a new covenant baptism because it's in Christ Jesus.
0: Right, marked by what we see in Jeremiah 31, the new covenant being a new heart. Right. So, heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh, which is signified by the Holy Spirit coming upon them and them speaking in tongues and prophesying. Interesting in verse 7, how many were there? Twelve men in all. That kind of harkens back to something. Interesting. interesting. Yeah. But anyways, I don't think that's to be read too much. It's just small beginnings, I think, is the bigger thing, right? So
1: why did they have to lay hands on them? That's the question, right? Because here in verse 6, And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Spirit came upon them. Could it be he laid his hands to baptize them? and and, And prophesying. Or do you think it's a separate from well, the baptism? Well, they were baptized
0: in the name of the Lord Jesus.
1: Oh, that's that's interesting. I had, so maybe I it could be he that, was
0: baptizing them, and as he was baptizing, the Holy Spirit came upon them. That could be. Either way.
1: So some people take this, though, to mean that the Holy Spirit is transferred through the laying on of hands. I don't, sure. I don't think that that's what the text no. is saying.
0: No. And God is spirit, so he can go wherever he wants, whenever he wants. And it's not a transferred righteousness it's only imputed by one person. Right. It's only given by Christ. It, there's not an intermediary that we need to lay hands on us so that we can receive the Spirit or be filled with the Spirit. Right. So my question to you in our modern context is going to be, we sometimes have people, Rob, that, that come to us and say they want to, sometimes the words that we use are rededicate my life, but that there's a lot of people we counsel sometimes that say, I was baptized, but I don't know that it meant anything. I don't know that I understood or my life hasn't really been different. Do you think that that's a fair modern analogy of this, this what we're reading here, the baptism of John versus the baptism of Christ and that we could preach a gospel, like we were saying, we could, we could preach a Psalm 15 gospel God, do better be better but we don't really preach forgiveness of sin through Christ and is it important for people to if they sense they need to be rebaptized? should they be rebaptized?
1: that's a good that's a great analogy for this text I, I think it, I think what you're saying is is, is a good uh, application of the text if you will if you have been baptized on a works based gospel if you have been sprinkled Um, if you have been uh, uh, not understanding what you were baptized into before you were baptized into Christ, then I think what we see here is that there is a significant understanding of the baptism into the body of Christ, into Christ, meaning you are fully, sufficiently uh, reliant upon Christ for salvation. You know that you cannot do anything on your own and a, a baptism of works or I mean, a baptism of repentance is just saying you know what I'm a sinner I need salvation but baptism in Christ says I need Christ to provide my salvation the righteousness and of Christ imputed upon me to be saved and so I think it's an important aspect within the body of Christ to see someone baptized because who is baptizing? It's someone who's a believer in Christ, and what are they testifying to? They are testifying that this person understands that it is faith in Jesus Christ that saves him. It's mm-hmm. good. Right. Sons of Skiva. So, any other questions though about tongues or anything there? I mean, you, it, it is an interesting deal here. There's there's a lot of people take this out of context as well. The laying sure. on the hands of the spirit and the tongues. We see this as the gospel goes forth to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, through you know Cornelius and through the Samaritans and through uh, in Jerusalem. This is interesting because it's it's. Uh, disciples of John, who are Old Testament, essentially Old Testament saints, right? who are in need of recognizing the way to Jesus. So if I was going to preach to Judaism, which I will in a few m- months, this is a great text to preach. What is the baptism of John? And what does Judaism expect in forgiveness of sins? And what does it mean to be in Christ? And so Mm -hmm. these essentially are Jews that are moving into followers of Jesus who do not know that they're following Christ. Yeah. They're followers of Judaism, the law, and they're they're connecting the dots. So we would say that they're now Messianic Jews. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. No, I mean, it's a great chapter, like the repentance, right, that that marks this group really sets the world upside down, right? And they spend two years so that all of Asia, we're told, hears or has an opportunity to hear the gospel proclaimed. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting, right, to see the acceleration of the Spirit. And some of these were were pausingly there for a short time. But then other times where the Spirit allows them to really be in a place for an extended period... And no coincidence, Rob, that the letter to the church at Ephesus and these Ephesian elders towards the end of Paul's life, really for us, I think, kind of demonstrate the radicalness of what the church ought to represent in our own culture. Mm -hmm. So read through Ephesians 1 through 6 and look at the unity that should be in the church, but the supernatural working of the Spirit, right? Right. That, it, that should be apparent in God's people particularly through the marriage relationships of the members of the church but then Paul's charge for these elders to really guard the flock that has been what? purchased by the blood of Christ mm-hmm. and so I think a church that I would look up to right is someone that I would pray that our church could emulate would be this, this body of believers yeah
1: there's, there's some messing around with evil spirits here. Sons of Sceva, you don't want to mess around with the the demonic if you're not in Christ. And the other thing is, right, in Ephesus, is when you call people and their idols out, they will respond in hatred towards you. It There will be some who come to faith in Christ. But when you preach a gospel that says mankind is sinful and in need of a Savior, and you disrupt, like you said, turn the world upside down, disrupt their world, there will be hatred that comes your way.
0: Yeah, and here's the thing, right? Person of peace concept. Alexander stands up and calms this crowd down. So the commands for us as believers to be above reproach and to conduct ourselves with wisdom towards outsiders is really demonstrated towards the end of this chapter. Where yes, getting rid of idols and having radical repentance is going to flip the world upside down and they're going to hate you for it but god is if if godly rulers are in place and i don't mean godly in the sense that they're regenerate but godly in the sense that they're acting within the authority that god has given them then we ought to trust that the lord's hand is at work even through governments that are pagan on the surface that god is still just like he is here in control of the nations and working for his glory
1: That'll be it. The Bible Rundown. We'll see you tomorrow.